Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as always here with Richard Hill, managing editor and uh, co-author and all-round good guy, Richard. Yeah. Hi, Matt. This is an extraordinary, a tumultuous day. We have either the most wonderful or the most ridiculous guests that we've ever had. Yes. Um, the, uh, <laughs> no, I, it, uh, I'm being silly, but we're going to talk about our work uh, mm. today because we have, at last, <laughs> our book is... Uh, is entering into the uh, to the purchasable um, space. Uh, Amazon finds us true and real, and uh, we're going to be here. So well, let's. We want to start talking about all the different aspects uh, in the book, and I don't know. <laughs> we could talk for years. <laughs> um, sorry, folks, don't get too too depressed. But um, but if we do, we just work through mm. and just expand on what's in the book because, of course, since writing it, we've actually come up with more information. And That's more, right. More ideas and thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a, um, a good idea for us to be able to step through uh, a lot of what we do have in the book because it is, uh, there's a lot to cover, right? And to be able to break it down and talk about discrete elements, I think will be very helpful for everyone. Uh, so for those of you who do not know, um, our new book just out is The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. Yes, and we want you to rush out now, uh, 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 pre-sales or, or sales, uh, but certainly get in and have a look at what we're doing uh, and listen to us as we're going on. And today, let's well, start at the beginning. I mean, there is the most wonderful forward by John Arden, yes. and uh, we might talk about that later, but we thought we'd, we'd start with the area of the introduction, which seems reasonable to me. Yeah. Now, before we touch on the introduction, Richard, let's just talk about motivation. So uh, why did we write this in the first place? We had nothing else to do. We were, we were, <laughs> we were locked down in uh, COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's actually a really good question. I'm not sure I've really thought about it uh, because it just seems like, uh, I mean, the opportunity arose, certainly. Uh, yep. Norton's uh, showed interest in, in what we were doing. Uh, but there were some options. I know we could have just sort of packaged together a bit of stuff, but we decided let's get into something new, something fresh. And I think John caught it and described it. He said, what you guys are doing are describing, and it's a term that he actually had in his book, My Brain Gene, you're describing the 21st century therapist. Right. And yeah, I found that, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, that's important. That's something that needs to be done. We need to change and grow and expand. And yeah. what is that change and growth and expansion? How could we support it? Mm, that's right. And, you know, we started out as the neuropsychotherapist and uh, our uh, what we covered was was fairly narrow. You know, we were covering the neurobiology pertinent to psychotherapy but then we, we we sort of expanded and then Richard as you sort of came on more full-time we thought we need to have a we need to change this because what we're doing is we're encompassing a whole range of disciplines and bringing them together to inform the psychotherapist so we we came up with the name the science of psychotherapy which is uh, way broader and then we you know we we saw all of these different perspectives um all sort of 
saying, look at, looking at psychotherapy from, from different angles, of course, um, but there were some fundamentals there that uh, sort of played into what we had been talking about for many years about nonlinear complex systems. And, and we also had some wonderful conversations with with people along the way as we were doing this who told us uh, some rather, <laughs> rather hard truth, Lou Cozzolino. Um, you know, you said you, you realize there's no such thing as a neuropsychotherapist, <laughs> meaning yes. as as a sort of a specialist type of field or process. Yeah, you were saying this is something we incorporate into the psychotherapeutic interpersonal framework. Yeah, um, and uh, and of course it was you know my mentor Ernest Rossi that that really encouraged us to think about all these other things like genetics and and complex systems as you were just. Uh, starting to allude to there, which we'll talk about some more in a minute. Mm. And then some other really interesting people that we've talked about and talked to in various podcasts and had articles written. These all expanded our sense of awareness uh, of what we need to know. And then we freaked out about it. And I remember sitting there sort of going, what we need to do is we need to give people, instead of a bookshelf full of detailed books on every subject under the sun, which leaves it impossible because we just got overwhelmed. We just need a single volume that gives us a walk through what we need to know about. Yeah, exactly. Create an awareness. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I saw our role as, as very much like with the magazine that we do and our, our platform, The Science of Psychotherapy, you know, we're the curators of there's just so much research out there. There's just so much information out there. And so we're playing the role of the curator, bringing together the most pertinent sort of information together for uh, the practicing therapist, you know, to be able to um, get a good, broad understanding without having to go and do, you know, all the searches through PubMed and read all the papers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, one of the things about the book, which I think we actually say it a few times in the book, is uh, go to the, the reference list, go to that, that area of the book to explore yourself. Uh, and the wonderful thing is, as we found as we go through, we go and find a paper. And some of the places where you can find paper, papers on the side, they'll have another list of associated or papers that are similar and so on and so forth. And I, sometimes I would really just have to almost have an alarm bell that says enough, you know, enough, you must stop looking at all this information. But it just, what I found, Matt, which was so interesting uh, and inspired by Bernie but also my own life, mm. is that when I knew something particular, something specific, like when I, I was studying and I learned, okay, so do CBT or do EMDR or do whatever. But that was great and it was very useful stuff. But the more I learned, the more I learned about what I could know, yeah. I actually found myself becoming more creative with my yeah. work. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one, this is a metaphor that we've spoken about a few times on our podcast and that is being an... Um, being an improviser. Yeah. So, so in the musical sense, someone who does improvisation, they might know classical music as well as jazz, as well as pop, and, and they're able to integrate a whole lot of things together 
and they may play in a certain style. So they may be a jazz musician, but they could also play Chopin. But yeah. in in their in their improvisation of jazz, they're drawing on their knowledge of all of these other different musical idioms. And so that's uh, I think that's a great metaphor for the therapist who is able to draw on many different bits of knowledge yeah. and then do their own improvisation. So we but we still had to give this book form and, mm-hmm. and shape. Uh, and in the introduction, we try and um, discuss those frames. And, and I've got something I just want to read out of the book. Sure, I, went, sure. I went back and I had a little look. I thought, what did we say? But I was looking, looking at, and one of the things which um, I was, uh, I was kind of really keen to do. It, it, it was this was one of my ones. A uh, case study. I put in. A, right. We start off with a case study that you could look at from so many perspectives. Yeah. Uh, and there were so many potentials, and the ability to understand the case actually requires your knowledge about mm-hmm. a number of things beyond beyond just simple siloed elements of be it uh, experiential, be it uh, trauma-based, be it uh, pathological-based, that you needed a sense of all those. So that's something that you'll find in the introduction begins you and then we, we, we talk about it at the end. Yeah. But we, we were trying to think of what are the frameworks? What really is this being framed? And I actually we actually write it down that the chapters – and I'm just quoting here. The chapters are oriented by three foundational principles. Number one, that the client has natural capacities. Mm-hmm. Cool. Number two, that therapy is a co-created experience. And number three, that therapy functions in a complex system. Right. And on the basis of that, we found ourselves able to expand out into all these different areas and talk about psychopathologies and affective disorders and brain states and 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 genetic conditions and and um, all the other bits and pieces that we go through uh, through the book. Yeah. So so on that point, I was just thinking before we came on, uh, I was thinking first of all what the book isn't. And then what the yeah. book is. So, so what the book isn't, it's not a categorization of uh, and descriptions of psychopathologies, although we do cover psychopathologies. It's not about the philosophy of psychotherapy, although it is philosophical, I guess. Yes, we wax, we wax lyrical every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about technique, and yet we we talk about a lot of varied techniques. It's, yes, we actually we actually have a whole section on what the experts do. Yeah. And and it's it's not comprehensive. Like uh, it's not encyclopedic, and yet it's very broad. Yeah, yeah, and so, it's 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 a it's a jumping off point for so much for so much additional stuff. But then we had to think about what it is. Yeah, uh, and, <laughs> so, so what and is it, it is about it is about embracing these interdisciplinary yeah. uh, perspectives, and we've got some things to say about that. Yeah, and it, it is about thinking in terms of complex systems and we better discuss that a little bit that's in the introduction yeah and it's about equipping therapists to think on their feet creativity the innovation you were talking about that's and, right and yeah, what and, else 
Yeah, so not not being stuck in any, any one paradigm or, or technique or perspective. Mm-hmm. It's about knowing the specifics in biology, genetics, psychopathology, techniques, all of these things that we cover. Um, and yet, like I was just saying before about improvisation, it's being able to draw on all of those things in a creative way with the client in therapy, with what the client brings to therapy. And we'll talk about um, that aspect in a second. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. Being, able, being able to improvise out of that. So we're not, we're not locked into anything. Um, we're open to everything and yet we can, we can still be very effective, very personalized to the, to the client, um, because of this knowledge that we've got sort of better down. Uh, And this actually is maybe a nice time to introduce uh, in that concept, one of my favorite words, uh, which is responsibility. Yes. Which is probably most people's least favorite word. (laughs) Because uh, it's been stolen from us. The, 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 the true meaning and the true power of the word has been stolen from us. And I, I argue in other places about other words that have had that, that we've socially um, yeah. re-manipulated, reframed them. And Because the current sort of feeling of responsibility, like a therapist has to be responsible right. because a therapist, a responsible person, does the right thing. And if you do the wrong thing, then you're irresponsible. And all it's so it's sort of a good and bad, a right and wrong, a sort of a, a, a punishment and guilt sort of thing. But that's not the meaning of the word at all. And the way we use the word and the way we use this book is what the word really is: your response ability. Yeah. So your ability to respond. Yeah, that's brilliant. And if you do something successfully, if you respond. Uh, successfully, then that means you have those abilities and are able to respond with them. And if you do something unsuccessfully, what people call fail or, 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 or any of those sorts of negative words, all it means is, oh, I haven't learned enough responses. So I simply need to go and learn something more or experience something more, learn through experience, so I can build up my responses, so I can become more response-able. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why being able to respond to the client is so important is because the client holds the key to everything in therapy, right? So the key to effective therapy is uh, not necessarily any specific technique, um, not even not even the therapist themselves, but it's what the client brings and the um, the client therapist relationship that emerges. So let's let's talk about uh, common factors. Yeah, that's that that first principle that we follow with the the client's natural capacities. Mm. And yeah, that's right. Common factors is one of the terms that is uh, used around in the educational framework. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got uh, a few stunning um, charts in in the book. We talk about common factors in psychotherapy and... In, in one way, it's, it's, it's shocking for all of us that love the academics and love learning techniques and everything. And we think, you know, we've got all of this down pat, so we're going to, you know, really, it's, that's going to be 90% of the effectiveness of, of psychotherapy. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're just really mistaken. We're sadly mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and we do try, and, uh, and this is a good example, uh, and it, it happens very early in the introduction, uh, as we start to talk about this first principle yep. of client resources, that we're not just going to tell you what we think is the, the best 
or the most relevant idea. We're going to try and talk about the subject. So, of course, there are many, many aspects that we can cover, but we cover at least two uh, plus some other discussions. But this uh, lovely stuff, we've got the, the early work by Assay and Lambert in the late 90s, yep. and they're talking about the client, um, what they call the extra therapeutic uh, resources, as 40% of the experience, of therapy experience. And, uh, and the, the, the theory or technique, perhaps 15% or so, uh, expectancy, sort of placebo, the, the, the excitement effect, uh, they call 15%. And then the therapeutic relationship, what we've later called the co-creative experience, is about 30%. So pretty big aspect there. But then we jumped to later on in 2010 and some work done from Duncan and, uh, and his colleagues, mm. where they actually go, no, it's about 87% <laughs> is therapeutic uh, client resources and extra therapeutic uh, elements. And 13% is everything else. So yeah. that's that's the the uh, the expectancy, the alliance, the client, the model, the 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 feedback. So how does that work, regardless of which guys are are actually giving us the most accurate uh, position? I think we take in all those. How do we yeah. take in all those and work with them? Complex systems, thinking in the system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we'll, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Okay. But when we look at that um, that chart from Duncan, um, you know, 13% of the treatment effect uh, are all of these other things, including the therapist who makes it about half of that 13%. Um, and you think, well, I'm, I'm not making, I'm not bringing to the table much of a difference at all. Um, yeah. Now we'll, we'll we'll touch on what is a non-linear in yes. this complex system because that's right in a linear system as we're we're, we're told uh, uh, effort in is equal to effort out or impact in is equal to impact out so if I'm the therapist and I'm only adding you know half of thirteen or five percent or something then I'm only having five percent impact well what's the point of me and complex systems changes. If you think in the way complex systems work, it changes the whole framework of it. And uh, so we go through complex systems to some degree, but in that context, just looking at, at that particular uh, element, is that in complex systems, uh, what comes into the system, so energy in, has an unpredictable and potentially huge impact on the entire system itself. Yeah, yeah. So when you think in complex in linear systems, it doesn't look like the therapist does terribly much. Why are we bothering? What's the point? Yep. But when you think in complex systems, that therapist impact is the very thing that is needed to stimulate and activate that eighty-seven percent of stuff in yep. the client to activate, connect, integrate, uh, and to produce that. Uh, that enormously beneficial effect, remembering that the thing that might be blocking them might only be 1% of their life, one single traumatic event or one single uh, uh, aspect of um, attachment uh, that they need to, to dispel and understand and shift. And just by moving that one thing, we've seen it so often. Yeah. We call it insight, we call it transformational change, but it is actually the unpredictable and expansive effect 
of what occurs in complex systems. I've told the story um, before. I won't go into all the details of the story, but uh, was with a client. We had a little bit of preamble discussion. I mentioned something in passing. I can't even remember myself what the details were. But then we had a whole session. I was, you know, trying to do, you know, my technique really well. Anyway, the client went away. They came back and they had experienced transformational change. And my initial thought was, wow, I must have done the whole technique really well. Yes, but tell me how wonderful you were. <laughs> but but so when I questioned them about what it was, it was it was an offhanded remark that I'd made at the very beginning, which to me didn't even relate to what the problem was. And it had struck a chord. They went home, they had thought about it, it had and things sort of just snowballed for them. And almost like by mistake. Like they had this transformational experience, yes, and the serendipity. It, yeah. it, yes, yes. So, uh, just an example. So that was completely nonlinear. From in my my mind, in terms of you know, I'm doing this technique to help them change. Uh, it was uh, completely nonlinear. Uh, so it was only a fraction of a percent of mm. your fraction of a percent. Yes, that actually had this huge, high percentage impact on the client. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. I'm, I must admit, because I've been, you know, I'm beginning to, well, I'm continuing my thinking in relation to all this stuff that we're working on in, in these client resources. And based on also my work with Ernest Rossi and then his work before him with Milton Erickson, this idea of the client as a resource is... Mm. Um, I'm just now, and this is a bit new, it's not, in, it's not in the book so much, and I'm planning on doing some research and some work on this uh, over the next few years to expand it. But what if it is the client is not a resource, the client is the source? Yeah. So this idea that all these different therapies, rather than being somebody cleverly thinking up something that can fix people, yeah. that what it is is people who have very sensitively and in great intuitive, serendipitous, but also thoughtful uh, observation have noticed about human beings, about mm -hmm. clients, and then certainly they've gone off and expanded it and given it a form and given it a method that you can utilise to apply it. But all they're doing is describing a small element of what human beings already possess. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know Francine Shapiro. She personally found herself, her eyes moving from side to side, and then went on to develop EMDR. So she was the source. Yeah, and yeah. I've seen people do this. Their eyes move side to side, and they come out, uh, come uh, sort of open up and say, "Oh, I feel better about my trauma now." Yeah. So it's a natural thing within us, and that's why that's why we learn all these things. That's why we need to know about everything. That's right. Now, and I must say, my little example there of um, serendipitous, yeah, whatever comment it was that I that I made. That's not to suggest that psychotherapy is completely, you know, random. And uh, you know, I we see a way more, you know, positive effects when we are being, you know, sensitive to the to the client and we're applying, you know, the appropriate techniques. Uh, oh yes, I yes I that, absolutely. Yeah, other times yeah. it's it's the the method is fantastic, and it's exactly what the client uh, uh, was. I, I had a client the other day um, uh, who who uh, contacts by text every now and again, and she said, 
are you a solution-focused therapist? Right. And uh, so she'd actually obviously done a bit of doc, doctor, <laughs> doctor Googling. Yes. But she's quite right. Mm. But I'm only I'm using so, a solution-focused framework with her because that's what I think is the best response yeah. to her to her stuff. And I am so pleased that I've attended all the conferences that I've attended and, and done the studies that I've done so that I was able to recognize her need for a solution-focused approach. Exactly. Uh, and so I went with the approach rather than that I delivered the approach because I thought it was a good idea, you know, that was the way to solve her problems. Isn't that part of the motivation behind the book is that we want therapists to be flexible enough to be whatever they need to be to the client. So we don't necessarily need to have gone to those big conferences and got those certificates and all of these different methods, but yeah. we know enough that we can apply ourselves in these different ways to be the most effective we can be. Yeah. And that's the point of the case study that we use in the introduction is that you actually need about four different awarenesses about mm -hmm. uh, things. You need to know about uh, behavioral uh, processes. You need to know about affective uh, responses and disorders, but you also need to know about some neurobiology to know, uh, to have a sense, to give you that intuitive, uh, a deeper intuitive sense of where some blockage or where some change might be occurring. And you need to know about some of the psychopathologies uh, to understand um, the medications that the person is, has been prescribed by various other practitioners. I, I've always said that I, with clients, tell me what your medications are. And they say, oh, are you going to, are you, can you prescribe? I said, no, but what your medications tell me is what your prescribing therapist is thinking about you. Yeah. And exactly. they found it quite surprising. Just, just like asking, what's your diet like? You know, and we've done that uh, documentary on the gut-brain axis. So, yes, yes, we're not dietitians, but this is inf information that's really uh, informative. And we know enough about diet to hear if someone comes up and and responds with saying, you know, I'm pretty much a fast food diet, uh, mm -hmm. fried food thing. We know enough about the system to be able to say, ah, I think we need to refer you to a a naturopath or a, a dietitian or a, you know, whatever other yeah. particular practitioner uh, that suits them and is available. Yeah, so really interesting. Yeah. Now, Richard, uh, for those that are not familiar with nonlinear complex systems, how about we just quickly define what a complex system is, talk a little bit about the different elements and maybe give some practical examples of what they are. Yeah, that might be a, a really a really good aspect, and we've had a look at the client um, uh, the client resources and the the aspects of uh, what we're doing with the co created. We've really kind of covered that. But this complex system thinking in systems is not difficult, but what it's not easy because you've got to overcome really what has been a whole lifetime of education in the process. We we learned that two plus two equals four. But what complex systems tell us is that two plus two equals who knows yeah. um, and uh, what you put in. But what we do is we, we've, we've actually got a nice little, little diagram. I had a bit of fun creating this and it's um, based on the broad work and also the, the work that I did with Ernest Rossi and we published in, in our book 
on the mirroring hands process because mm-hmm. there we yeah. are with mirroring hands talking about um, almost a, a hypnotherapeutic uh, framework, but still all these principles apply. Yeah. So the main thing with a complex system is the way in which the elements of the system affect the system. Mm. So it's not about things in and things out. So what you do is you reorganize yourself and you listen to your client and what you're looking for is what is the foundation, what's the fundamental elements, those things that don't change that the whole system is sitting on. Mm. And uh, that could be their um, uh you know, their, their gender, it could be their um, uh, the impacts of various other elements of their DNA. There's a whole bunch of systems there that affect that. Then, then we have organising rules or organising elements, things that the way in which the body seeks to organise itself. Yep. Uh, now, what's interesting is we organise our system towards a better state towards some kind of homeostasis, uh, some kind of uh, manageable state. And these organising principles help us do that. These are like internal rules, right, of the system. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've got someone well-balanced who feels happy and is terrific, then you look at their organising principles and you'll probably find that they've got an organising principle of secure attachment. Right, uh, and they've got an organising principle of uh, generalised trust of authority figures. Now, you then might go to another client who's struggling and in, in a problem and and uh, having all kinds of difficulties in life, mm. and you'll find that their organising principle is an insecure attachment, yeah. or it's a trauma. That what they do, for particularly, for example, one of the ones is the mask that people do, sort of the persona that people, the protective persona, the shell that mm. they put up. Mm. Now, they've, that's an organising principle of when in doubt, put up the shell, you will be safe because, of course, that's the homeostasis we want to be safe. Whereas our other more balanced person, they, uh, they open their arms up and embrace people because they've got a secure attachment and haven't had these. It's a different set of organising principles. Okay. So we've got fundamental principles. We've got organising rules. What's the next one? Well, then what we've got to understand is the nature of chaos. Mm. Uh, And chaos is sort of a small element of describing the complex system. But the main message that we get from chaos is that with very small changes to what we call the initial conditions. Mm -hmm. So they can be the foundational principles, but certainly these organising principles. That with a very small change for that, you can have a very large outcome. And this all came, started off with Lorenz, uh, who was uh, doing weather uh, work. And he was kind of a bit bored with with calculating everything to 17 decimal places. So he just sort of calculated them to three or four. Mm -hmm. And he found that the outcome of the predictive model was entirely different. And the more numbers he added, the more it changed. And the more numbers he added, the more likely he was to get an accurate type of of response. So the mistake of uh, thinking when people think about complex systems is that everything is totally haywire and crazy Mm. and totally unpredictable. All it's saying is that you can't predict the exact outcome because it's not linear. 
But actually, there is a predictability to the system on the basis of the organizing principles. So if I'm looking at someone who's got insecure attachment or has a traumatic experience or has a um, uh, a fearfulness towards authority or father figures or various other things, then I can reasonably predict that they're going to move towards this uncomfortable PTSD type of trauma type of response. So I'm then going, wow, what I need to do is I need to change that organizing principle. And there we have all kinds of things that we talk about in the book, memory reconsolidation. We talk about the CBT processes. We talk about doing somatic therapies in order to release it from uh, somatic areas. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful host of ways in which you can approach changing those initial conditions because a single tiny thing, like the single thing you said yep. or the entire therapy itself, or as I had one time <laughs> where someone saw a bent flower in a vase behind me, uh, that they find the metaphor that, uh, and that metaphor can do enormous uh, impact on them. Okay. So, so for me, when I think of um, the element of chaos, I think um, fuzzy boundaries, like yeah. it's blurry boundaries. We can't, we can, we can have a general um, predictability, but never absolutely precise because of this chaos element. Would I be right? Yeah, and and with those fuzzy boundaries, it allows for for uh, not being fixed. It, it encourages mm-hmm. you to not be fixed. But it also allows you to accept totally surprising and radical change. So yeah. chaos is the is the understanding within the complex system that allows us to accept instant transformational change. Okay. Uh, and not sit there and go, oh gosh, my client's lying to me or or yeah. I'm stupid or I'm imagining um, or wow, my therapeutic um, methodology doesn't say, that, thera- that that transformational change comes here. They say it comes later. So this idea of going at any moment, something immediately surprising can occur. Uh, that's the fundamental understanding from that. Okay. Now we've got nine of these. So let me just rattle them off again. So we've got fundamental principles, organizing rules, chaos. Then we have whether we have order and disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, which just very briefly talks about this this um, type of order and disorder. And uh, Dan Siegel talks about this really nicely. I've been talking about it for years as well, that we have a rigidity at one side and a chaos, so a, a, a sort of a, a, a dissipating on one side and a disintegrating at the other. And life exists pleasantly in between those two. We talk then about attractors. So, what, what is drawing the system, is something drawing the system towards it, which certainly when we're working with, working with trauma or if we're working with addiction or if we're working with some of the unipolar elements or the bipolar elements of affective disorders, what type of attractors are pulling the system and can we change those attractors? The, um, uh, we go into understanding self-organization that actually given the opportunity and the circum- appropriate circumstances, a system will naturally move itself towards well-being. Right. So we see that in our immune system, we see that in our digestive system, we see that in our neurobiological system, which we talk about all through the book. That there's very important this aspect of feedback, that when something good happens, 
that will roll back into the system, stimulate something else, which hopefully is good, which will roll back into the system. So it's not this linear process forward. It's this mm. constant, a dynamic interplay, which is really producing the thing that is the, the most important understanding of complex systems, which is emergence. That out of all this stuff, the organising rules, the chaos, the, the self-organisation, the feedback, uh, the attractors, the order, out of all of that emerges something uh, that we can see. So we can then, uh, so that becomes, emerges the behaviour, emerges the emotional response, emerges the state of being. And all those are things that are going on underneath. Okay, Fantastic. Now, if anyone thought we're talking about theoretical physics, it would be partially right because all of these, this all comes out of, um, you know, uh, theoretical physics, uh, but we can apply it to biology just as well. Yeah. And well, so, well this, and this is a part of the complex system, that yeah. everything that we have academically and intellectually produced and put out into a book or put out into a, a, a conversation has come from somewhere and it's come from the system within. Yeah. And so everything applies to everything in some degree. Some degree. Yeah. So we better wrap up, Richard. I, I was just thinking, um, you know, we, we should finish with, you know, what our hopes are for readers of the book. Uh, hmm. And just to reiterate, you know, we are curating uh, a lot of diverse information here. Neither Richard or I, you know, we're not, we don't have PhDs in the science of psychotherapy, um, although one might argue we've done enough research and study to get a PhD in the science of psychotherapy, um, but it's not any one thing. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a broad perspective that we're trying to get across here. So, uh, so when we talk about our hopes for the book, you know, John Arden in his uh, forward to the book, uh, he says that our job as psychotherapists is to identify the parts of this complex system that we've just been talking about um, that make up the client and the client therapist relationship. Um, that we help them to orchestrate this harmonious feedback loop that Richard was just talking about. So we're kind of like a conductor. So another metaphor here to help us here. Uh, a conductor helping our clients make adjustments to all this, the systems, you know, in this complex system of theirs to support health and well-being. And as we know, a conductor, he stands on the podium and he doesn't play any instruments, he doesn't make any sound, um, but he's acutely aware of every instrument and how the sound all comes together. And so my hope is that we're introducing you to this amazing orchestra and to get a feel for what it's like to stand on the podium and to, you know, wave the bat on. Um, yes, and, and with, that, <laughs> with that goal of being able to step down from the podium mm -hmm. and allow the client to step up to be the conductor of their own orchestra. Wow. Because they have, through various reasons, and we've all done the study of what blocks and interferes and interrupts, determined that they are not able to do so. Mm. And we can co-create. See, look, I can do this. Do you want to do this? I mean, Albert Bandura discovered uh, a word for that. He called it self-efficacy. Yeah. So we build up their self-efficacy. And then suddenly they go, oh, if I can do that, I can do the other thing. And, of course, for some people, they still have to learn one by one. But others can just do one so a bit of self-efficacy and suddenly it all cascades in this beautiful feedback oriented, uh, systemic, unexpected transformational change. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and uh, listening to our introduction to the Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. Uh, we'll leave links in the show notes as to where you can get hold of your copy. And we do hope that you will join us at the Science of Psychotherapy, become a subscriber, join the tribe. We'd love to see you there too. Yes, we have all the information and more in in spades that you can explore and dive into and expand uh, this book is talking about what Matt and I have learned yeah. uh, over the last years. Uh, <laughs> and it's just been the most fantastic experience. And we're still just scratching the surface. Absolutely. So much exciting stuff to, uh, to learn and know. That's right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.